This text, chapter 5, and I'm just going to breeze right into it. I, I, I have tended to try and, and here's where we've been. For the sake of time, I'm, I'm going to just get right into chapter 5, verse 22. Talking about wives and husbands and, and a little bit about children. We're not going to get there very far, but it's a sensitive subject for many. Anytime a preacher gets up and talks about marriage, it can bring some discomfort because there are some here who aren't, for one, for various reasons. Maybe they used to be. Maybe they lost a spouse. Maybe a spouse left them. Maybe it, they just never married. And perhaps it's not been the most pleasant ride, so to speak. And so this can be as good as, as marriage is and it has as a gift that it is by God, from God, it can be full of, well, let's just say it's complicated. And this text, especially with an unbelieving world looking on, when, when we read a passage like Ephesians 5.22 that says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And we see a word like submit being leveled at a gender who has historically been, in many ways, exploited, oppressed, and unfairly treated. And there is, by our culture, a knee-jerk reaction. And we've seen this, haven't we? Over the last few years, there's been nothing short of an uprising to the point of revenge in some circles. In light of the Me Too movement and all that's gone into the empowerment of women to compensate for years of horrible treatment uh, by selfish and ungodly men, we're tempted to throw the proverbial baby out with the bathwater. The truth is, if we only hear the words, wives submit to your husbands, and hear nothing else, and see nothing of the context, and we define our own words, then there is reason to fear the ramifications of misogyny and what's been called toxic masculinity. But if we read the rest of the passage, if we read it in the context that Paul is talking to these Ephesian Christians, we find that God's plan for marriage really is a blessing. In contrast to the Greek and Roman culture around him, Paul is all about elevating women to actual personhood. Co-heirs with men in salvation, as Peter puts it in his letter, in a culture that treated women hardly better than cattle and property, the Christian view of marriage is, has a way better playing field. These values can be found in the Old Testament law, in the teachings of Jesus. They were lived out by Jesus and reflected in the teachings of the apostles. This word submit, it's a compound word in the Greek, hupostasso, under, arrange, to put together underneath something. It's a military term. It can be used to organize troops under the authority of a leader, to be subject, to obey, to yield. And it's not just used of wives toward their husbands in Scripture. First Peter has this word a lot. And in chapter 5, it's used of young men, clothing themselves with humility and being subject to their elders. In 1 Peter 3, all the heavenly authorities and the spiritual beings are submitting to Christ. They're underneath him. In 1 Peter 2, verse 18, servants are to be submissive to their masters as working for the Lord. And in that same chapter, chapter 2, verse 13, all of us 
are to be subject to every human authority instituted among men, which is considerably, I don't know, there are a lot of people that don't want to submit to the governing authority. He's not my president, kind of a thing. And, but there, Peter's talking to an oppressed minority with zero rights under an emperor who was burning them at the stake. Submit to every governing authority amongst you. James chapter 4, verse 7. We are to submit ourselves to God and resist the devil. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 51, Jesus himself, after he was found by a very frantic Joseph and Mary, submitted himself to his parents and went home with them. See, I think we find all over the scripture this posture of humility, this posture of submission to one another. And it's also applied to wives and their husbands. The key is how. How are wives to submit to their husbands? Well, as a pattern for everything else we've seen about living the Christian life, we see the example of Christ. Our obedience is unto Christ. Our foundation is Christ. So wives, submit to your husbands as you would submit to Christ. That's a tall order. Because there's no man in here that's like Jesus entirely. Amen? All the ladies. <laughs> but he explains it further. He explains this. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. His body of which he's the Savior. As the church submits to Christ, so wives submit to their husbands. And as he goes on, it's almost like a blur between, is he talking about marriage? Is he talking about the church? Is he talking about Jesus? Yes, 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 yes. All over the place, yes. These, they're not, there are no easy answers here. Because there's, I mean, there are different scriptures that address all kinds of other scenarios. There are scriptures that address having an unfaithful spouse. There are scriptures that address having an abusive spouse, an unbelieving spouse. There are many in our churches who pray daily that their spouse would join them in faith in their spiritual journey. That they would be with them in worship or in prayer and leading their homes in Christ. It's a hurtful... It, it, my mom took that journey for a while before my dad came to Jesus. I get it. But here's the proverbial bottom line. The more the husband is Christ-like to his wife, the more readily and joyfully she will entrust herself to him, follow his lead, and respect him. I think that's why Paul spends three verses talking to the ladies and nine talking to the guys. We need a little more help here, fellas. For the man is to be the man Christ is making him to be. Why does Paul start this section in verse 25 saying, Husbands, love your wives. Isn't that like, duh? <laughs> I mean, why should that have to be said out loud? Well, again, we have to read this in the culture that he wrote it in. In many different cultures. They didn't marry for love. It was arranged. How many have seen the, the, the movie Fiddler on the Roof? Okay, One of my top five. Any, I mean, seriously. Okay, good. I, mean, I was hoping that somebody besides me had seen that. An arranged marriage that 
depending on the amount of money and the influence that, that you had, your daughter might fetch a price or whatever, and that was who you got. That's, that was your marriage. You didn't choose anybody. It wasn't for love that you married in many different cultures. So, yeah, we have to start with square one, fellas. We have to start, you know what? You need to love your wife. She's not just something that you own or that you were given. And it's not just emotion. It's not just infatuation or eros, but it's agape love. The kind of selfless, giving, generous love that Christ shows as he loves the church. He gave himself up for her. He elevated her to a place of honor. He gave her healing and cleansing. He loved the church as he loved himself. A man who loves his wife sacrificially, generously, not perfectly, but with strength mixed with humility will make it that much easier for his wife to respect him and trust him and follow his lead in Christ or anything else for that matter. Now, does that mean the wife has no say in matters of family or finance or intimacy or future? Absolutely not. It's a level playing field. The man who does not ask for and listen to his wife's wisdom, opinions, and feelings is a bully. He's a prideful, fearful fool. And I've been that guy. <laughs> I've done that. I've, been, I've just gone off and done something on my own without really consulting, and I've, I've been sorry for it. I would have spared both of us some pain had I just had a conversation. That's not love. That is not biblical submission. We have to think biblically about matters of male and female, masculinity and femininity, husband and wife. And as for Paul, here in others of his writings, he does what he always does. He points to Jesus. He points to the foundation of marriage, Genesis, Adam and Eve. The two become one flesh, one life, one body, one purpose, one love. A godly marriage reflects the nature of God to the world. A unity that is supernatural. So, for Paul in chapter 5, verse 28 and 29, in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, and he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, as Christ does the church. So, since the man and wife are one, if the man hurts himself, he, if a man hurts his wife, he's hurting himself. If he hurts himself, he hurts his wife. Goes both ways. If a, if a wife humiliates her husband, she shames herself. If a man neglects his wife's needs, he's starving himself. If a wife resents her husband, she's poisoning her own soul. Husbands, the best way to love your wife is to love God most. You put the Lord first, and he'll give you a bigger heart to love your family. And we really don't even have time to get into the chapter 6 with the, with the kids. And if I would have been a little better planner, I probably would have had a whole different message just for that. But I will say this one thing. I've said it before. I don't know where I got it. But if, guys, if you have a kid or two, the best way to love your kid is to love his or her mother. You love them best by loving her the most. Always, I'll say this carefully, always putting the kids first will cheat your spouse. It will teach your kids that it's okay to neglect time 
with your spouse as long as the kids get all the opportunities they want. It's okay to say no to your kids to say yes to your spouse. I'll just leave that there. One way to, to love your wife more is to grow in Christ as a man. And I'm going to have Brandon Schaus come up here and talk about an opportunity, a ministry that he has going called Band of Brothers. And then I'll talk about couple checkup fairly quickly. Thank you, Jim. My name is Brandon Schaus. I'm a platoon leader uh, for a men's group called the Band of Brothers. Uh, we have a big opportunity, wonderful opportunity coming up. Uh, next week, we're doing a kickoff cookout. So it's just kind of a hangout, bring your family, kind of figure out what we are about. So I'm going to try to answer that question for you guys today. Uh, Band of Brothers is a men's ministry organization that's here to come alongside churches, come alongside men's group, come alongside companies designed to make you the leaders that God has intended you to be, to equip you with the tools that you need. Uh, something just popped out while uh, Jim was talking, and it's in Ephesians 4.11. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, to equip his people for works of service so that God of Christ may be built up. So the key words, equip and works. So this group is for 18 and older, I almost forgot to mention that. But the, the tools that we use is accountability, discipleship, and brotherhood. We want to get a tight network, we wanna have close brothers, we wanna have close friends that are always there, always beside you, and if you know, you're active and full, they're gonna call you out on it. So the, the tools we use, there's evolutions in the chapter, and these evolutions challenge you guys every week to grow in your faith, grow with your brothers, and just equip you. So the devil is a tactician. He's here to kill, steal, and destroy. So I was reading up, and after 40 days of fasting with Jesus, the devil knows he's your weakest, so he's going to come and attack you then. So if you think that the devil's not going to attack you, don't be fooled. So this is just another tool to equip you to put on the full body, full armor of God, to clothe you, to protect you, to set up a defense against that. Because you know he's coming and you know he's going to attack. Uh, with our brotherhoods, I mean, I believe three strands are not easily broken. You know, if you're by yourself and you're alone, you're easy pickings. So there's strength in numbers. And that's what I want to do is just get the men of the church together, get us together with glue and be a family and be a tribe. The Band of Brothers. So why do I have a big, I guess, logo? There it is. A skull up there. So I want to explain this to you. The left machete is battered, broken, worn out, beaten, bruised. And that's before you know Christ. You're trying to handle the world. You're trying to fight the devil on your own. And you can't. You can't do it by yourself. Until you die to yourself and be reborn in Christ, which is the skull, then you are in training on the right. Is the the sharpened machete. So we're constantly training, we're constantly preparing, we're constantly striving to be a better person, a better father, a better husband, a better brother. And that's a daily task that we need to be aware of. So the Proverbs 27, 17 is iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. So I ask you today, will you come help sharpen my iron? Will you help take the gold and the silver and refine it until it is perfect? It is better. You know, we can't be perfect, but we want to be a little bit better. And if we have wisdom and knowledge from different aspects and different areas, it makes it a lot easier. It could speed up that growth process. So we have a motto. 
Why is Band of Brothers here? So others may live. We're here to help the community. We're here to help each other. And I want you to help me live, and I want to help you to live. Live a more Christ-like, I don't know, life. You know, we want to be the shining light. I have some flyers out there on the sign-up board. Uh, if you guys are interested with it, it has my contact information. And I just want to thank each and everybody for giving me the time to listen. I want to thank Jim for giving me time to speak. And I'll let you do your thing. Thanks, Brandon. The schedule that you've got is out there too, right? This goes from, from next week until May, this next, this next round. The, and also we've been talking about Coming up in four weeks, the couple checkup. And this is another thing in your bulletin. The half sheet of paper gives some pretty specific instructions about how to take this assessment. What I haven't really talked about when I've I talked about the marriage retreat, the couple checkup, is the, the tool that I use. When talking with premarital counseling, I use a thing called prepare and enrich. The prepare part is for premarital couples. The enriched part is for married couples. And what, what you'll do, I mean, it's step by step. And how many of you are the, the instruction readers in your marriage? Okay, make sure you do this first because if you give this to typically the guy, he'll just like skim it and then won't really do everything on here. But if, if you go through each one of these, this will work on your phone, on your tablet, on your computer. It is an online survey takes about, I would say, 15, 20 minutes. You can't work on it together. You can't talk about it with each other while you're doing it. It is on your own. You can talk about it after you're all, both, of them are, are, both of you are done, but when both of you are, have completed the online assessment, you will get a link to your report, and it will give, it will give you some results. What I get is not your answers. What I get is the group's collective response, totally anonymous. I don't get any information that you have put in. What I get is a total, uh, a bunch of statistics, graphs, nerdy things, numbery things that I like to look at to make sure I see where the needs are, where the strengths are, where some of the action points are. So when I get, when we all get to March 7th at couple checkup in the afternoon, I'll have a week to prepare beforehand all the stuff that I think uh, that Rhoda and I are going to be working on to, to bring to that retreat. You have three weeks as couples to take this assessment. I'm not calling it a test because it's not a pass-fail to take this assessment. Okay, It is a free thing. You don't have to pay. You don't have to put a credit card in. You do have to create a couple account. You'll have to put in a little password, which is annoying. But you'll have the, the, the voucher is right there, countryside checkup, right there in the little graph. They even typed it up for us. And I would encourage you, if, even if you've never done anything like this before, if you've been, at, if you've been married for 50-some years, you're like, we got this down. We need you to do this. We need you there to help these younger ones. It's a biblical thing for all older folks to speak wisdom into the younger one's lives. So don't count yourself out just because you got gray hair or no hair or whatever. Just go ahead and do this anyway. If you don't have a computer at home, I totally get it. We can help you. We can help you. And if you don't want to take this at all, but you are interested in being at the marriage retreat, 
just come talk to me. I don't want this to be a, a barrier for you to come. I would love for everybody to participate in this, but I don't want it to be that you would come if you, you know, since I have to take this, I'm not coming. Uh, don't do that. Please don't do that. I'll, I'll talk more about that later, but this is open. Like, if you wanted to go home and open this up today, you could do that. From today until March 1st, you've got three weeks to do this. So, wrapping this up. This is something I've done at, at weddings before. Everybody, get, their, get your hands out, put your t pan down or whatever, and, and go like this, okay? Just do this for me. Just do like that spider on a, on a mirror, doing push-ups, okay? Okay, this is something I've, I've done at weddings here. When, let's just say that um, the middle fingers paired here are our husband and wife, okay? The thumbs are your parents. The pointer fingers are maybe your siblings or some other people in your immediate family. Again, the middle fingers, you and your spouse. The ring finger is your commitment to one another. Okay? And the pinkies, perhaps they are your children. Let's just go with that. Parents, siblings, you and your spouse, your commitment, and your kids. So these are all connected. This idea of biblical submission, I'm going to rewind back to chapter 5, verse 21, where I think the chapter heading ought to be anyway. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There is a submission to one another that has to happen. This isn't just a one-way subjection. So with your fingers together, bend your middle fingers down to where your knuckles are meeting. Okay? You see what that's doing? You're bending your middle fingers down to where your knuckles are meeting. Now at that point, your parents can still separate. Your siblings can go their way. Your kids will eventually grow up and fly. But try taking apart your ring fingers. You can't do it, can you? You can't. It's not physically possible. Now, bring your middle fingers back up. What's your commitment finger do now? Here's the lesson. But when the middle finger is raised, the commitment <laughs> can fly. If at any point, you do not bow in submission to one another. If you raise up even one of those against the other, the commitment is now a compromised situation. But when you are bowed in submission to one another out of love for Jesus, it's really hard to break that commitment to remove these fingers from each other. It's just a little... Um, Reminder that Christ is the center. Jesus is the center. And it doesn't matter how long you've been married. It doesn't matter how short you've been married. Jesus needs to be, increasingly so, the center of your relationship. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for opportunities to grow in faith in Jesus, we want to walk in his ways. We want to uh, 
to do all that we can to be Christ to our spouse, to be Christ to our kids and our immediate families give us a sense that it's just not about us. It is about everyone who we come in contact with. And those in our own household are the ones most affected by, by our decisions. So keep us faithful. Keep us true. In Jesus' name, amen.